hours since the first tick-tock of time You brought order to a world undefined Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Our teaching teaching team is made up of men and women who love asking probing questions of each week's scripture portion. To which our community responds with curiosity, courage, and a desire to expand in faith, faith, hope, and love. We follow the Revised Common Lectionary, and we follow the church calendar, because because they they anchor us in something something which can can hold us, us, no matter what life throws our way. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us everywhere cultivating new beginnings in all of us everywhere we exist to join god's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us everywhere we hope you enjoy this week's teaching we hope you enjoy this week's teaching we hope you enjoy this week's teaching Today I'm reading from John 6, verses 1 through 21. After this, Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, also called the Sea of Tiberias. A large crowd kept following him because they saw the signs that he was doing for the sick. Jesus went up the mountain and sat down there with his disciples. Now the Passover, the festival of the Jews, was near. When he looked up and saw a large crowd coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread for these people to eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Six months' wages would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they among so many people? Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was a great deal of grass in the place. So they sat down, about 5,000 in all. Then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were satisfied, he told his disciples, Gather up the fragments left over, so that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up, and from the fragments of the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten, they filled twelve baskets. When the people saw the sign that he had done, They began to say, This is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. When Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, They saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were terrified. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they wanted to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the land toward which they were going. The word of the Lord. The trick is to ask your husband to read scripture without telling him how long the passage is. That's how I got him to sign up. Hey, I'm Kara, and um, I'm on staff here at Genesis, and I'm really happy to be here sharing a word with you all um, about our gospel reading today. And a big thank you to my little family this morning. Um, They're not, I guess, in there, but orienting myself here. Um, 
Our daughter Freya calls uh, reading scripture giving the sermon, and so she's always asking me when it is her turn to give the sermon. So um, I'm just grateful that both she and Josh were able to enliven the scriptures for us today. Well, this is my first time preaching up in front of folks. Um, it's a little, it's a little different. I get kind of used to being able to have that little box where don't worry about what pants I'm wearing or. Um, and I can always have good lighting. Man, I miss Zoom lighting. I miss my, my little light. Um, and I also miss being able to see myself kind of looking back at me because it's a great way for me to check if I'm like doing a lot of like big eyes. Um, so since I can't see myself, if I'm giving you guys a lot of like strange faces, will somebody just be like, dial, dial it down. But I get to use bigger arm movements up here, I feel like, than when I'm sitting, so... Oh, you guys. All right. Steve is on sabbatical, um, and if you're just joining us for the first time, that means that he and his family are in the midst of rest and play and all kinds of good things, and they will be back with us in September. And we're so grateful that we kind of have this lineup of um, preachers to come in from our own community and outside of our community to um, share with us. Today we're going to start a several-week exploration of John 6, so we're going to be talking a lot about bread. Um, Dan Cook is going to be preaching the next two, and I'm glad that he's batting cleanup for me. I feel like that's what I'm thinking of it as, to use a sports metaphor to try to, you know, be cool. <laughs> um, he's batting cleanup in case I'm, uh, I'm super heretical or anything, whatever I say, so... Um, and as much as I want to jump into what this passage means for us to model God and sharing our resources and providing for our neighbors, which is often my bent anyway, um, I'm going to leave that for next week. So a little bit of a spoiler. Dan is going to talk more about that next week, so you won't want to miss it. For this first week, we're going to be in the beginning of John 6, and we're going to walk through the narrative and dialogue a bit together in our all plays, like Will said, our opportunities for all of us to kind of share what we are seeing in the text. Um, and I don't offer up all plays as like a gotcha or like there's only one right answer. So um, just breathe easy. And if you're an introvert or a person who takes a moment or two to think of the word you want to say aloud, that's fine. We'll take, we'll take the time. The feeding of the 5,000 is the only... Um, miracle contained in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Each Gospel writer has their own theological framework as they attempt to answer the, the question of who Jesus is. Our narrator in John uses miracles to point to God's glory and Jesus as the Logos, or the Word of God. We get this bonus miracle in the account today as well, Jesus walking on water, which is in John, Matthew, and Mark, but isn't included in the Luke text. Since we're talking about bread today, here's a super easy intro I'll play. What's the best bread you've ever eaten? Or a favorite bread that you've eaten? Ooh, cranberry walnut from high V. Sourdough. Bread with gluten, yes. <laughs> I, I can only imagine <laughs> the, the deep longing. Maybe on... Maybe on, in the next, in the life that is to come, there will be all bread with gluten in it. <laughs> Homemade bread. Oh, that's great. Even gluten-free. That's good. 
Freya had, I asked her and Josh this question during supper this week, and Freya said her favorite is she loves that plain baguette from Jimmy John's. Like, she doesn't want a Jimmy John's sandwich. She just wants the big, the big Jimmy John's. Yeah, so um, that is her favorite. Um, my favorite is there's a baguette at Patisserie 46 over in Minneapolis, and it is like primo baguette. Like, it's like super crunchy and soft on the inside. So that's my, um, my favorite. It looks like um, Rajan says, my friend's homemade pumpernickel. And Rexanne said, any bread that's shared. So I feel like that's like such a, such a fun idea too. Kind of on Pam's like that idea of like homemade or, or something, um, something like that. Now, really, I'm asking this because I just want to make us all feel kind of hungry, right? <laughs> and to think about bread. So that kind of gets us in the mindset of, oh, we're talking about bread today. Um, we're going to talk about this passage with some um, interpretive imagination, which is kind of my favorite way to look at Scripture, where we look at what's there and kind of we imagine what's not. Um, that's typically just how I approach the Bible myself. And so the narrator sets the stage. Jesus is followed by this large crowd because they had been seeing what he had been doing in the way of miracles. So uh, we were out at Yellowstone a month ago, and if you saw like one car stopped, you'd be like, oh, is there some wildlife? Like, should I stop too? And so suddenly you see all these cars just coming to stop just in case that they got to see that rare like sighting of a, an elk or a moose. Um, and it always paid off. So if you see a lot of cars stopped along the side of the road, you might see something amazing. So same as in Jesus's time, we have, we see all these people that are like, did you hear what Jesus is doing? Let's follow after him. So he's amassed this kind of crowd that's tagging along everywhere. Um, it's Passover, which is the Jewish festival celebrating God's provision for the Hebrews when he liberates them from slavery. And when John makes a note about it being Passover, he's not just trying to locate it in the calendar, so we know. Um, it's very Christological for John. Um, he is making the, the distinction, the theological connection that in the miracle here, we see Jesus providing what the people needed, just as God provided for the Hebrews. In fact, John is the only gospel to record three different Passover events, indicating to scholars just the level of importance that he placed um, upon Jesus' ministry as a parallel to the work of God and the fulfillment of prophecy. So Jesus up this mountain to get a break. And it's moments like these when I'm just like, really identifying with Jesus, that like need as an introvert to get away from the crowds and to kind of step away and rest. Prior to this chapter, he was healing and teaching, and he'd just gotten into some pretty serious verbal sparring with the religious leaders of the time who were questioning his work and his authority, like why is it okay for him to be doing what he's doing? And so Jesus pulls away. He tries to get this moment of peace, and he goes to the mountains and notices the crowds are following that way as well. So I like to imagine Jesus as um, Ted Lasso here. Uh, he's kind of cheekily asking his disciples, where are we going to buy bread to feed all these people? Since John tells us in verse 6 that Jesus already knew what he was going to do, um, I like to think that he's kind of setting the stage with a little bit of whimsy. And as an aside, I'm just naming Ted Lasso as my new go-to sermon illustration um, season two dropped on Friday, and if you haven't watched it yet, 
find someone with an Apple Plus password that you can borrow. Um, also, there's like a lot of cursing, and I realized as I was watching last night, I was like, oh, I think I'm going to mention this in my sermon and giving you all the recommendation to watch something that maybe is a little salty, so don't watch with your young children, okay? Um, and it's such a good show, I'll take all the judgment that you want to heap on me for recommending it. So now we have the disciples, Philip and Andrew. And to complete my Ted Lasso trio, I'm calling them Coach Beard and Nathan. So the three of them in this little setting, they're having this conversation. And Philip and Andrew respond in the way that probably most of us would, right? Especially to this preposterous kind of question. 5,000 plus people all out in front of you. So how are we going to feed these folks? In fact, their response is probably the same response I've heard in every church council meeting since I was 16 because I, I was that super cool kid who was on the church council when I was 16, if you wanted to know how cool I was in high school. <laughs> the response is, there's not enough of what we need to make this happen. I mean, Andrew at least brings something to the table, even though the offering is pretty meager with what they needed. Maybe he was remembering that Jesus can do miracles, like he's a guy who can get it done, but... Maybe he also just wants a little credit at showing up with some kind of idea, right? Like, even if it's a silly one. And then we have this kid who offered up this food. This boy, maybe he offered it up. Maybe he was a really kind, generous kid. Maybe Andrew spotted him and invited him to share. We don't know. But Jesus gives the disciples instructions um, to get the crowd, 5,000 plus, because... In old Bible times, they were really only counting the men. So we're going to say that there were 5,000 men and a whole lot of women and children. And the disciples are told to get them all sit, to sit down in this grassy field. I mean, there's no PA system, right? So it's like these disciples are like, okay, guys, just sit down, sit down. And they do. And Jesus takes this simple bread and this simple fish. He give thank, gives thanks to God, and he starts handing it out. And after all 5,000 plus people are satisfied, Jesus tasks the disciples with tidying up, which again makes me chuckle a little bit because if you've ever done event planning or hosted a large gathering, the idea of having to just tidy up from 5,000 plus people, not a small task. Folks are fed and there's enough for everyone. And then the murmuring starts to start in the crowd, right? Jesus realizes the crowd wants to make a power play here, and they want to take him and make him the king that they have been hoping for. So he slips out the back door and heads back up out the mountain. That night, the disciples head down to the water. They set out on a boat at night. Perhaps they're trying to stay under the radar because they're trying to avoid those crowds that are looking for their buddy Jesus. And a storm picks up, and they're afraid. Jesus isn't with them, and then when they do see him walking on the water, um, they're further terrified. Jesus reminds them who he is, ego emi, in verse 20, the Greek meaning I am. He reminds them to not be afraid, and then suddenly they're, they're back on land again. And throughout this narrative in John 6, 1 through 21, we can identify some familiar themes that kind of rise up for us, of the need for humanity to trust the divine of God's provision, and of God's abundance for us. So our next all play, what does it mean for you to trust in God 
What does that look like in your daily life? What does it mean for you to trust in God? How, if at all, does that impact or look in your daily life? Uncomfortable. Release. Hmm. Rebecca, radical acceptance. Slowing down. Interesting. I like that. Mm-hmm. You're like, all right, fine. <laughs> fine, I tried real hard. I feel that, Pam. I feel that real hard that, like, I did all the things. and it's, Now I need God, yeah. Um, Josh's answer at home this week was surrender. So for him, he's kind of learning what it means to, like, do the work and then surrender, kind of on that point. I think we do all plays both so we can hear each other, but also so the person speaking can have a drink of water. I'm just going to say it's very, it's very helpful. Um, for me, trusting, trusting in God is a posture, um, one that's super unnatural to me. Like, I'm just not, it's not in my wheelhouse, right? Finding that balance between both doing the work and then opening my hands. Um, and I'm in awe because I, there, there are many in our midst that are good at that, and I notice that and see that among you, and um, I just love it. I love learning from the rest of you how we don't always have to just rush around and try to make all the things happen and to trust in God as well. We speak these words every week as a community at the communion table, right? When we had chosen sin and fear instead of trust and love, God sent Jesus to provide so that we could remain in trust and love once again. We, like the disciples, are prone to fear, prone to responding in fear, the fear of not having enough resources, the fear of failing at the task. Or we're like David in 2 Samuel 11, which is the story I didn't use today, which is David and Bathsheba, because I just didn't have the... I, I didn't want to. I didn't want to go there this week, but... Um, so David, he becomes fearful. He's prone to make then these terrible choices to cover up more terrible choices. And it's just like this cycle of terrible choices. The fear and the inability to trust the divine either stops us from moving forward or it propels us forward too quickly without wisdom or guidance. Kind of like what you were saying, Will, when it's like the slowing down makes us, gives us a chance to pause and to trust and to listen. Because when we're able, with the Holy Spirit's help, to trust that God provides, we can picture Jesus in this very story, in front of an enormous crowd handing out enough bread to satisfy. And we encounter Jesus at the Eucharist table, at the communion table, reminding us we're not alone, that we are beloved, that we have everything that we need. And it is indeed the mystery of faith, that somehow this miracle happens even in the smallest elements, to sustain us. And, you know, I don't presume to know at all, <laughs> at all how it works, right? Except that in the act of showing up, we receive. We give thanks, and we are filled. Similarly to those in these miracle stories, we are present and grateful recipients 
of what God has provided. And it may look or be different than we thought, right? Not unlike the people who were following Jesus. They wanted him to come be the king that they were hoping for. And similarly to the disciples on the road to Emmaus who said we had hoped he would be the one to save us. God's provision takes place, but it can be in unexpected and un, um, unknown ways. Our third theme in John 6 is one of abundance. So Jesus performs a miracle. Um, he doesn't just give people the bare minimum, right? It's not just this tiny little square, but enough so that all are satisfied and there are leftovers. Andrew and Peter can't envision a way forward, but Jesus comes through with abundance. Pit, uh, I said Peter. They see the obstacle, sorry, just had like a moment there. Um, They see the obstacle, they see limits over possibility. Jesus takes this very ordinary offering from someone, gives thanks to God, and generously multiplies the gift for all. Most of us inhabit a worldview oriented around scarcity. And if we haven't experienced scarcity in the past, I feel like the last year and a half has certainly tested those limits. Remember when we were all frantically trying to find toilet paper and Clorox wipes? I mean, I had a text chain with my girlfriends and we're like, I saw a bunch of toilet paper at Lund's, so hurry and get over there before it's out, right? We just kind of lived that way for a while. Remember when there were only limited doses of the COVID vaccine and then we had our teachers in this like weird Hunger Games-style lottery to hope that they can win an appointment to get the vaccine. I think about people across the globe who are desperate for a vaccine, and they abound here. I look outside, and I see the fields and the gardens and the wildlife and our lawns that are parched for water, and it feels like there's never enough. Resources and security seem in short supply all around us and in different ways. But perhaps the invitation that arises for us out of the scripture today is for us to notice when we're steering into a worldview of scarcity and instead to reorient ourselves towards noticing God's abundant provision. Because scarcity is that all-too-persuasive voice that says, you are not enough, you have been abandoned, you are failing. But what if we tuned ourselves Instead, to God's divine message in Jesus that says, you are beloved. I am with you. I am on your side. It's difficult to shift our mindset, right? It takes intentionality and it takes repetition. And it takes the Holy Spirit's guidance to fuel those efforts. As humans, we see through that lens of not enough. How will we survive? How will we have enough? How will we take care of me and mine? How will this thing ever be accomplished? But what would it look like in our daily life instead to put on that lens of God's abundance, to sharpen the picture, to notice the places where there is enough or where there is more than enough? Or to trust that while your current landscape looks dry and brittle and forlorn, that on the horizon there is a potential of a deep, soaking rain of God's provision. I wonder where you might be noticing God's abundance or where you've been noticing God's provision in your life. I know at times we kind of shy away 
from talking about the ways God shows up. And in part, I know for me, that's because I came out of a time in a faith tradition that was looking for God under every rock and around every corner and ascribed every good or bad event in life to God's blessing or God's cursing, right? And um, if you couldn't feel that and if you couldn't see that and if you couldn't name that, then there's something wrong with you, right? Something wrong with your spiritual life or your whatever. Um, But now I feel like sometimes I've swung the pendulum the other way in a kind of post-reconstruction life where um, I don't talk about God doing much of anything or where I notice God at all. And that, for me, doesn't feel authentic either because I do sense the ways that God provides. I just might notice or think about or talk about it differently than I once did, but I still kind of want to talk about it, you know? I'm nervous, though, to ask the question of another person. I'm nervous to be like, hey, where do you see God in your life? Sometimes we were in staff meeting and we kind of preface something like, I know this may sound kind of like cheesy about Jesus or whatever, but, you know, and then we say like this thing that's like meaningful and heartfelt and, and true, right? Um, and so I, I want to find ways that I and we can kind of continue to, to share with each other when we do feel like we are sensing God in our midst and God's provision and what that looks like and how we can honor that and do that with each other. Um, so then my all play is, um, where are you noticing God's abundance? Where are you noticing God providing more than you need? Your CSA box. Oh, I love that. love that. What is your job? Healthcare. Yeah. Awesome. Where is God showing up for you in ways that are maybe unexpected or meeting more than you needed? Nature, yep. Yeah, even though it is, a, it is dry, right? Um, Jim and Holly on the chat said, the Canadian border opening just in time for our son's wedding. Wow. We got to have ice cream the other night with dear friends after Freya's softball game, and... Um, our friend who was with us this past October, he was, he was kind of in a deeply critical place of complete organ failure. And we were praying, you know, for him to get what he needed to um, be well. And, and that, the need there being met was already a miracle in and of itself. And then as we sat outside and ate ice cream, I just couldn't be couldn't help but be struck by how extra it all felt. That it was not simply that he was given enough to sustain him, but that already now he is with us and we were able to laugh 
and watch our kids with drippy ice cream cone faces and to just celebrate how good it feels to be together again. So I want to give you all a challenge for this week. What do we need to notice in front of us and give thanks for? Where do we need to welcome the gift and be nourished? And if you need a habit to try, consider for the week so when you wake up, think of three things that remind you of God's provision and goodness. And at night, before you go to sleep, before you turn that screen off, or turn off that next episode of Ted Lasso, whatever, whatever you're watching, um, what are three things that you are grateful for from the day? And it might be a stretch, right? Some, sometimes we're in seasons, we have days or we have weeks where it feels like, I can't, I, I can't think of one, let alone three. So it might take a little bit of imagination. It might take us stretching ourselves. Sometimes when I'm trying to work and do some of these gra- rhythms of gratitude, I kind of just have to be like, I guess I'm grateful that like I have a pillow. You know, like it's... But it is a thing. It is a thing to be grateful for, right? But it is in that repetition and in that practicing and in that noticing that we kind of flex those muscles a little, right? Perhaps in that regular habit of bending towards gratitude and bending towards noticing abundance, perhaps that we can remember in that, that in Christ we are sustained. So would you pray for me? Pray for me. Yeah, you should pray for me, but will you pray with me? God of abundance and goodness, we are grateful for the small and sometimes hidden ways that you remind us of your care. For the world-altering miracles that shake us to our core. For those of us wondering how we will make it through this day or this painful season, we ask you to give us eyes to see your provision, patience to wait when necessary, and a heart full of gratitude. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Time and time again throughout the age Endings are a place where life is remade Thank you for listening to the Genesis West Podcast. If, if you, you find, find yourself, yourself nearby, nearby on Sunday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. We meet at Elam Church Center in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. If you, if have, you have any, any questions or would like to connect with us, please visit us at www.genesiscove.org.